0: All right, Luke chapter 12, what a wonderful book the book of Luke is. Two of the longest books of our New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, written by the same human author, and that is Dr. Luke, the medical professional that followed around the Apostle Paul and his ministry. And I love the book of Luke, I love the specifics of it, and I enjoy what God is trying to share with us. How many of us, from time to time, would honestly say, I deal with some element of fear? Do you say that would be with you? Maybe fear of public speaking. You know, I'm usually scared to death just sitting here coming to another service, nervous about that. If I was singing that song a few minutes ago, I'd have been nervous about that. Um, Fear of death, fear of not having enough money, lots of things. The devil is a sinister minister of fear. He loves fear. By the way, when you have fear, you can know this, that God has not given you a spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit, and it's certainly not from the Lord. Uh, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And uh, you can have confidence in the Lord. But uh, the devil loves to get fear. He loves to get you with doubt and uh, let you wonder. whatever. Wherever God puts a period, Satan puts a question mark. He loves to make you wonder if he, God really loves you, he cares about you, you're going to be okay, you're really saved, all those things. He's very good at that. He's very good at, at lies, fear and doubt and lies. Those are some of his... He's he uh, has the same tactics he's had for 6,000 years, but he's really good at it because he's been doing it for 6,000 years. You do anything that long, you probably get good at it. And he comes at us pretty hard at it from time to time. The Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 12, he's now getting down to the word, the end of his ministry somewhat. He's, he is um, being crowded with lots of people. In the middle of this, he reminds his disciples, he turns to people who who are disciplined followers of Jesus, and he says, you've got to be careful about the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And of course, uh, he'll go into a diatribe about fear. He also will talk about covetousness, because I think probably all of us have these two weaknesses in our life. Uh, We're afraid afraid of what's going to happen to our country, what's happened to our politics, what's going to happen to our situation, our health. All those things are natural things. And another issue we have is covetousness. In the first half of chapter 12, he's going to deal with that. He's going to talk about a divided heart later on. He's going to talk about a, a cold heart at the conclusion of the chapter. But the first half of this chapter of Luke, he tells us, you've got to watch out for fear and you've got to watch out for covetousness. And one, of course, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, leaven is kind of like yeast. Yeast is a fermentation in your bread that pops and it causes it to, it, it, gets, it starts rotting and then it causes it to puff up. And he says, you know, there's a, there's a yeast inside of society and certainly inside the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, which was hypocrisy. It's having one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside. And He tells you, you're going to watch out for that. And we're going, to, we're going to kind of plow through this this morning as best we can and see what God has to say as Jesus approaches disciples. I would hope all of you who are Christians are devoted, disciplined followers of Jesus. All of us have different levels of commitment, different ceilings of, of, of how much we trust the Lord. And by the way, the more you love the Lord, the deeper you grow in your love for the Lord, the higher your ceiling of commitment would come. I love this church, but I want to love God more than I love this church. I love my wife, but I, she wants me to love God more than I love her. I want I want her to love me, but I want her to love God more than she loves me. And if you serve God for uh, any other reason besides God, you'll you'll be tempted to quit. No one will serve God for a lifetime unless they're totally convinced that God loves them and they want to love Him back. And really, everything everything in life is dependent. In, in what you will do, what I will do in our Christian life, will largely depend upon our opinion of God. What kind of opinion do you have of the Lord? With that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 12. Can we look at it please this morning? Verse number one. In the meantime, or as things went on, there was there gathered together innumerable multitude of people. People were coming together insomuch that they trod one upon another. It was just, there was no room to walk. And he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? I many appreciate someone who's sincere, someone has integrity, someone what you see is what you get. Uh, That's something that we all appreciate, and it's commanded by the Lord. The Bible says, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, and then easy to be treated. Uh, It is without hypocrisy, without partiality. When you have the wisdom that God gives you, you're going to be real. Boy, you know, you can kind of spot a mature Christian by several things. Number one, um, they know themselves. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. Mature Christians kind of figure out, okay, I, I know I have a critical bent to me. I have an opinion about everything, and I want to say something critical. And you, if, you, if you're a mature Christian, you're going to say, you know what, I've got to stop that. A mature Christian understands they have a short fuse, and they're, tempt, they're tempted sometimes to lose their temper, and it's like, you know, I'm not going to do that. A mature Christian who maybe has struggled in the past with alcohol doesn't go to the company picnic because they know they can't handle that. That's, not, that's, a, that's a temptation. They don't go to, the, to the, the, the professional baseball games, beers everywhere. It's not, not a good place for them to go. A mature Christian may uh, realize that, you know, I've got some areas I just, I can't do that with my phone. I, I don't need that particular app. This is not good for me. I'm not going to social media. It's a weakness for me. Mature Christians, they know themselves. Number two, mature Christians are themselves. They, they are what they are at home is what they're in the community. What they are on Sunday is what they are on Monday. They might dress different because they're work clothes, but, they, but they, have a, they have a consistency about them. Mature Christians are sensitive to those around them. They're, they're not going to do whatever they want to do. They're going to be sensitive to, to those around them. You know, little babies that cry on an airplane. They, they don't care about your eardrums because they're babies. They're immature. But as we become, we become sensitive, sometimes you people say, I just say what's on my mind. I don't care. I don't care. Listen, you're a big baby. You need to realize that mature Christians are sensitive to those. They're looking at every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Mature Christians, are, um, they're focused on responsibilities, not rights. They're thinking about eternity, not the nasty now and now. Mature Christians are motivated by love. They have a contented spirit, but they are themselves. He said, watch out. Don't be a fake. The Bible says, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I've said this a hundred times, but probably very few things frustrate a child more than insincerity and hypocrisy in their leadership. Now, many people are used to sit in seats like this in a church service here and around the world who now say, I'm not doing that because I saw a hypocrite in my teacher or my pastor did this, or my mom and dad did this. And let me tell you, spanky, that won't hold up at the judgment seat of Christ, okay? You'll have to figure that out, and many people have. However, sad is the person that we give others a good, an excuse because of our insincer- insincerity, or lack of being genuine Christians. Uh, we do need to talk the walk. We need, to, we need to talk walk the talk. We need to make sure we live it out. Something that this world needs. And if people don't trust you, they're usually not going to trust what you tell them. And uh, they need to see a, a sermon in shoes. He says, watch out for the, 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 the Pharisees' hypocrisy. They have it all right on the outside, but on the inside, they're, they're, they're rotting sepulchers. He said, well, don't, don't do that. Look, if you would please, to the next verse. Verse number two. The Bible says, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And uh, that which ye have, that, uh, ye have spoken in the ear in the closet shall be proclaimed from the housetop. So God's got something going. He says, Everything that you think you got covered up is not covered up. Everything that you whisper is going to be known, and everything will be revealed. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And he says, Jesus is reminding his disciples, listen, you need to live sincerely. You need to live without hypocrisy. This world doesn't need another cheap invitation of itself. It needs someone very different, very holy, very right. And Jesus is driving this home with them. He said, but whenever you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer some persecution. And every one of those guys, with the exception of Judas... And John would eventually die as martyrs. They would all be, their lives would be taken uh, at someone else's hand. And no doubt it bothered them. It's fearful fearful to them. I think Peter, one of the reasons that he denied the Lord three times on the night of his crucifixion was because of fear. He was nervous. What What if he said, yes, that's my Lord, that's my God. Oh, you're talking like him. Yeah, I do. I talk like him because I've been around him for three and a half years. And I'm from the same area he's from. But no, he said, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. Ah! Oh, and he cursed and said, I don't know it. Why? Because he was afraid. I was thinking of this. I was asking God to forgive me this morning. I was sitting near someone recently, and I had a gospel track in my pocket. But I, I was intimidated by the person. And I, 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 I left them without giving them that gospel track. And boy, the Lord smote me. I pleaded with him, forgive, and I've been praying ever since that God would send someone to to be diligent where I was negligent and give that person the gospel track and talk to them about the Lord. They knew I was a Christian. I had a Bible next to them, but I should have just shared the thought, and I was, here I am. I I should have just so quickly done that, but I I let fear of man create a snare to keep me from being faithful, but here he's telling us, don't be afraid. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. We're looking at verse number five or verse number four. And, he, and I say unto you, my, what does he say there? My what? Isn't that great you can be a friend of the Lord Jesus, and he calls them friends. Be not afraid of them that kill the body, because after that, no more that uh, they can do. He says, all they can do is kill you one time. He said, but I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Who do you need to recognize particularly? Recognize him, which after he hath killed the killed has the power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Who is that? The Lord. See, people who fear the Lord don't fear other things. The reason I was such a chicken there, not giving that person the gospel track, is because I didn't, I didn't have the presence of God like I should have had. If I had recognized what God's doing, I would have done that. But boy, when we, when we fear God, we don't fear other things. When we, when we don't fear God, it we makes us a, a scaredy cat makes us fearful of other things. Look at the next thing the Bible tells us, verse number six. Are not uh, five uh, sparrows sold for two farthings? The little kids in the street would catch some five sparrows and sell them for a few cents. Not one of them is forgotten before God. Though he says, "I, I know every one of them. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, right after it talks about how that a, a woman should not wear a man's apparel and the apparel of a man should not wear a lady's apparel. And, of course, we've blended all that in in our society today. But right after that, it talks about God knows how many eggs are in every nest. He, remember, he knows how many eggs in every nest that a little bird would lay. Because I, I keep track of all that. Notice what else he keeps track of. For even in the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. And some of you guys you are bald headed. That's not a hard job. But um, for some of us, we got hair so thick Moses couldn't part it, and it uh, causes all kinds of challenges. But he said, "You know, I know I know how many hairs on your head. I know I know what's going on there." That talks about. He said, "Verse number 7 fear not therefore for you are more valued than the sparrows and then verse 8 also I say unto you whosoever shall confess before men him shall your son of man also confess before the angels of god he said if you will if you will tell folks about me then my angels are going to be talking to you uh, to me about that verse number 9 and he that denieth me before men shall deny me, shall he be denied before the angels of God. Now, verse, verse 10, a little confusing verse for many people. But whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. My purpose today is not to go through and teach this lesson, but I will tell you this occasionally you'll fight someone, and maybe some of you in this room, you're like, oh man, I don't think I can go to heaven. I have cursed against God, I curse the Holy Ghost, or things of that nature. You know, there's, a, there's an unpartable sin. Two of them, I think, are disp- in dispensations. One of them, and of course, different people have different opinions about this, but I think the, the unpartible sin that could only be committed in Jesus' day while he was doing works was to attribute the work of Christ to the devil. And we find that in chapter 11, verse number 15 uh, of, uh, of Luke, where that he healed someone. They said, oh, he does this by, by the power of Beelzebub. Remember that story? And that was a tribulation that, sin. That's, that's, that's wicked. I think another dispensational um, unpardonable sin would be to in the tribulation period, not in our time, in the tribulation period, taking the mark of the beast would probably be an unpardonable sin. But I think the unpardonable sin in our day and time is when a man or woman is confronted with faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and they reject him. There's one sin that God cannot forgive, and that's the sin of unbelief. He said, If you believe not, yet I abide in faithful, I cannot deny myself. I think if you're going to if you're here today and you know you're not saved, and God has convinced you that you're a sinner, you deserve to go to hell, and you've not yet accepted Christ, you put you're not going to put your faith in him. There's not much God can do with that. And yet he is ready. Matter of fact, it's interesting in, in the book of the Revelation, chapter 21. Uh, in verse number eight, it says, these are the people that deserve to go to the lake of fire. And the first one is the fearful. The second is unbelieving. And then abominable, and then murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and, and idolaters, and, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which with fire and fire, which is the second death. The first two don't seem terribly serious, but they are serious. The fearful. Some people don't get saved because they're afraid. They're afraid of how it's going to affect their life, their future, their business, their finances, their their family relationships. Some people don't get saved because they're just totally unbelieving. And that is one sin that God cannot forgive if you choose to reject him. I think the unpardonable sin in days' time is going to be a failure to when the spirit of God continues to prompt you to believe and receive Jesus and you just rebuff him. You blaspheme and You're not going to respond. See, everyone who gets saved, there's three factors in everyone who gets saved. Number one, they must hear the word of God because faith cometh by hearing. So uh, this is so important that you understand this. You have someone say, well, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm Muslim. I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic. Listen, ask them if you could show them what the Bible says because it's amazing the power of the gospel. Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. To everyone that believeth, I'm not the power of God, you're not the power of God, the church is not the power of God, the word of God is the power of God. And the gospel is. And you need to share it. And it's the, it's the, it's the greatest uh, power on the earth is the gospel of Christ. So regardless of what people say, if you can get the gospel, because everyone who gets saved has to get saved because they receive the message from the word of God. So the word of God has to be there for someone to gets saved. Number two, the Holy Spirit has to be there for someone to get saved. He has to bring conviction of their sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Sometimes I've showed people the Bible. I've shown them the gospel and they say, man, I've never heard like that. That's interesting. I say, let's talk about it. How about this? Do you believe that you're a sinner and your sins against God? Rarely do I find someone who says, no, I'm absolutely perfect. Thank you. No, most everybody believes that. When I take them to the second question, and that is, do you believe that the price of sin is death and eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. I've had people stop me and say, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure I believe that. And you know what? The truth of the matter is I can't go too much farther. They don't need a Savior unless they, they see their sinful condition. But you know, I show them what the Bible says, but they have to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. This is why it's so important that we take time with people and we witness to them and share the gospel with them. And make sure there's clarity. You're not trying to to just rush someone through. You want to give someone the truth. And then oftentimes they'll say, well, I think I do believe that. Do you believe that Jesus died? He goes, I'm not sure about that. Well, there's not much I can do about them, but who's going to follow them home? The Holy Spirit. He's going to bring conviction. And when people get saved, it's because they hear God's word, God's spirit brings conviction, and a local church somewhere did its job. A local church stimulates. Even me talking about this this morning, would to God that you're thinking about a neighbor, a friend, a loved one. You're thinking about a gospel tract that you need to take out of your pocket and present it to someone who is unsaved. Uh, We need to always be provoked, and we'll do that through a local church. Thank you for being here and letting God provoke you. It's what God wants us to do. Well, he says here, he says, if, you, if, you, if, if, if someone sins against the Holy Ghost, blasphemes the Holy Ghost, there's not much we can do about that. Look at the next one, if you would, please. Verse number 12. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you the same hour what you... I'm sorry, I picked up verse 11. Let's pick up 11. And when they bring you into synagogues, and once again, he's talking to his apostles and his disciples, and into magistrates and the power, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what thing you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye shall say. So Jesus is preparing them and helping them overcome the fear of persecution and being dragged into a courthouse. This is not admonition to someone who's preaching in the church house. Listen, if you're teaching a Sunday school lesson, you're doing Transformers on a Wednesday night, boys, young men and young ladies. You're teaching Sunday school class, you're preaching a message. Listen, this is not, this is not talking to you, oh, I don't have to study, I just get up there and God's going to give me the word of God to say people who don't think about 5 minutes before they're going to say something after they say it people don't think about that more 5 minutes either but you need to prepare some things and you certainly this is not admonition for you to get up and just preach like I don't have to study I just preach out of the overflow whenever the spirit of god tells you no if you're going to if you're going to you're going to teach a Sunday school class and I think many more of us should be teachers there are Sunday school classes that need to be filled there are people that are sitting and listening and you become like the Dead Sea. You take in, but you don't give out. Some of us need to be discipling others. There are people within your sphere of influence that you could disciple and teach in the Word of God. As I had the opportunity this week a couple times to sit down with people and to go through a Bible lesson with them. You need to do that too. And, uh, and whoever does the teaching does the learning. Let me encourage you to do that. However, uh, when you do that, prepare. But he said, look, you guys are going to be suffering. And they're going to drag you into courthouses, into assemblies, and into magistrates. And they're going, to, they're going to push you for an answer. He said, when that happens, don't be afraid. The Spirit of God's going to be right there with you. And he'll help you know what you need to say. You think about that? How many have ever read, if you think you remember, Acts chapter 7? You know what happens in Acts chapter 7? It's a whole chapter of a man who had exactly that happen to him. Did anyone know his name? Stephen, yeah. Here was just a deacon in a church, soul winner, and they pulled him outside the city, and before they killed him, he gets to speak to them, and he does a great job sharing what the Holy Spirit gave him in his heart. How about the Apostle Paul standing before Agrippa and Festus and, and, and Felix and many of Caesar's household, and they push him around and bring him out with things, and, and, and he knows exactly what to say. Many times God puts the whole sermon in the Bible for us. Like, How can a guy know what to say at a time like that? Because God's promise was he's going to let him know. And sometimes you, some of us, most of us, we're not going to die for Christ. Very few of us probably have to die for Christ. God's not asking us to die for him. He's asking us to live for him. (laughs) But whenever you have a pressure situation, if you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he'll help you know what to say, when to say it. That's what God is trying to tell him. Listen, the, the key to overcoming fear is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in us. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children have a face of, a place of refuge. If you find yourself overwhelmed with fear, well, you need to make sure you strengthen your faith in the awareness of God. It's one of the reasons I'm, I am not saying this for any other reason except for just if I was talking to Brother Jesse over here to my right last night about this. Because there's two things that God says that teach us the fear of the Lord. Number one, we hear God's word. In Deuteronomy 17, when God, when a, God says, you're going to have a king, and that's your choice, tell your king when on his first day at the job to sit up and write out a Bible, a copy of the Bible with his own hands, so he can have his own copy. And he will read it every day so that he will learn the fear of the Lord. And one of the reasons you come today to church, you hear God's word, it, it makes God real to you. That's why you should read the Bible every day, because it makes God real to you. The second thing that teaches us to fear of the Lord is found in Deuteronomy chapter 14. He says, whenever you honestly tithe, when God gives you a dime, you give him a penny. When he gives you a dollar, you give him a dime. When he gives you $10, you give him a dollar. If he gives you a hundred, you give him 10. If he gives you a thousand, you give him a hundred. You just honestly do that. So when you learn to honestly tithe, you do this. Now, God doesn't need our money. You know, he doesn't need money. God got this church along fine without us over 135 years. And if you and I say, well, I'm keeping my big bucks out of, out of God's hands. So he's, not, he's not nervous one bit. He doesn't even have a headache. But you know who's, who's getting ripped off? I'm getting ripped off. You're getting ripped off. We learn when we say we're not going to tithe because tithing teaches you the fear of the Lord because everything, all of us have one thing in common. We think about money all the time. I thought about money today, so have you. And we think about it, and God knows that. And he says, where a man's treasure is, there's heart be also. I had a pastor the other day tell me, Pastor, teach me, you know, why do you, I'm not going to teach our people to tithe because they're just so poor. I said, man, but our church needs money. I said, you don't teach people to give to raise funds. You teach people to give to raise God's children. Tithing and giving is not God's way of raising funds. He doesn't need us. It's God's way of raising. Never will there be a good child for God who does not learn and submit to this simple principle. And then the the presence of God comes upon you. And when you have the presence of God, you have strong confidence. Because confidence does not come because of who you are, but who is with you. When you know God's presence is with you, you'll have greater confidence to face difficulties, trials, heartaches, opposition, all of that. As Jesus continues, he talks about covetousness. And he'll talk about, let's look at verse 13, and I'll conclude today. I cannot continue, but this is a great passage of Scripture. I hope you'll go home and read it. Verse 13, he says, And right in the middle of his message to the disciples, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of what? That's that itch for more, that desire to have. It's in me, it's in you. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he gives them a parable. Another thing that he's telling them in this passage, beware for fear, but also beware of covetousness, that itch for more. And here, he's in the middle of his message, and the guy says, Hey, Jesus, would you talk to my brother that he's honest with me when he splits up our inheritance? I cannot believe how many of God's people uh, are, are, would, would fight over finances. They spend more time fighting over money. They could go make that money if they just got out and got a little busy for a little bit. All the court cases and the attorney fees and trying to fight over stupidity. But you know why? Because there's, they've been bit by covetousness. The desire to have. They think they have a sense of entitlement. And Jesus stops them He says, look. I'm not here to do that. And he gives him a parable about a rich man who really, uh, he treasured his bank book more than his Bible. He treasured things more than, uh, than, uh, than, than, than eternity. He traded time for eternity. And he was a fool. Jesus called him. I don't, I don't like to call people fools too often, but Jesus didn't mind doing it. He said, oh, thou fool. He's. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get this, and I'm going to do that. And James, the hard hitting pastor of the book of the Church of Jerusalem, in James chapter five, chapter four, he said, he, he he reminds him. He said, "What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time." And then he talks about what you ought to say, if the Lord will, we can do this or that, looking at the will of God. And Jesus is now putting his finger. I don't know about you, but this 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 thing is getting very uncomfortable to us, because all of us have issues with fear, and all of us have issues with money. And, it, and it's something that we have to deal with individually, and Jesus is not afraid to put his finger on the problem in my life and yours. He's not, he's not afraid of meddling. Meddling. I've heard about a guy preaching one time, and this little lady, she was a, she had snuff in her mouth. She's an old lady in a country church in North Carolina, and she had snuff in her mouth. And uh, the preacher said, "Man, I tell you what, you some of you drinking, you know, you, you got to quit that." And she said, "Preach it, preach it." Well, they're talking about other sins, you know, gospel and preach it. And he said, "Now you people who are doing snuff. He goes, now, hang on, preacher. Now you went from preaching to meddling, (laughs) you know. You know, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't mind meddling with us. And I hope you'll read this chapter. We'll talk about it again another time. Let's pray together, can we?